Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology, and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Marcus Weibel from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. Today we'll be talking to Barbara Webb, who's a reader at the University of Edinburgh and the head of the Cricket Lab. She's a pioneer in the new research area of biorobotics, studying how to make robots that emulate or simulate biological organisms both computationally and physically. Barbara Webb has co-edited the first book on this research field, and she's also the author of numerous articles that show how robots can serve as tools for biologists. Her main research interests are simple biological sensory motor systems and theoretical issues concerning measurement, modeling, and simulation of biological systems. In her recent work, she has developed and tested a robot model of the auditory localization behavior of a cricket, and she's currently working on a cricket robot to study the sensory motor interactions that give rise to basic behaviors. Hi, Barbara. Welcome to Talking Robots. Hello. You're working in a young and unconventional field of robotics. Can you tell us something about your robots? What do they do? So I'm trying to build robots that behave like crickets. Um, so, for example, one of the things that crickets can do is um, hear the sound of another cricket and recognize that sound and then locate that sound, find their way towards it. Um, so I'm trying to copy the sensing and brain networks um, in the animal that allow them to do that and see if I can get the robot to behave the same way. I see. So what do these robots look like? Um, there's so, I use several different kinds of robots. So some of them are quite small, almost insect size. Um, some of them have wheels, some of them have legs. So, What's the interest of having a robot model of a cricket? So the, the idea is really that I want to understand how brains work. Um, and I think I have a better chance of understanding that in simpler systems such as insects rather than trying to understand humans directly. Um, and then also I think that if you want to understand something, trying to build it is a very good way to, to find out what you really know and what you don't know. Um, so essentially I, I see what I'm doing as biology. I'm trying to test explanations of, of how the animal does the behavior by building models. You said building a robot. Why not just use a computer model? I would imagine that for many applications that would be largely sufficient. Um, it's maybe sufficient for some things, but it, I don't think it's sufficient for understanding behavior a lot of the time um, because I think it's very important to understand the complete system when you're trying to understand behavior from all the way from the sensing to the motor control. And um, a lot of computer models, people kind of skip parts. So they'll, they'll do very detailed models of the sensing, but then not do anything much about the behavioral output or vice versa. Um, and also that you need to test the system in, in a realistic environment. And while it's not impossible to simulate environments, you can try and make them as realistic as possible. But it starts getting harder and harder the more realistic you try to make it. And it ends up actually being easier to build a robot and put it in a real environment than to um, try and simulate the whole environment. I understand. So what's the main challenge when modeling biological systems? What's the main difficulty? Um, I think at the moment the main difficulty is really the 
available sensor and actuator technology because we don't really have sensors that are comparable to animal sensors. Um, so, for example, you know, an, an insect antennae has something like <clears throat> 100,000 sensors on it, um, and they're sensitive to chemicals way beyond any of the um, sensitivity of, you know, chemical sensors you can buy. Um, and similarly, for actuators, if you want to have something like muscle controlling your robot, there just is nothing. We have no technology that's comparable to muscle um, in terms of the power consumption and the, the weight that it requires and so forth and so on. So I think those are really, it's, it's very hard to build the thing um, when you don't quite have the technology yet. Is it important to build these things to size or can you get away with building a model that's twice as big? It depends somewhat on what you're trying to understand, I think. So if you're trying to understand, you know, the the hydrodynamics of a swimming animal or something like that, then building it to scale is obviously very important. Um, if it's more that you just need the thing to move over the ground um, in something resembling the same fashion, then maybe it's not so important to have it exactly the same size. But It helps to aim towards that. I mean, it's, again, it's not always possible to do, but it, you learn something by, by trying to do it that can be interesting sometimes. You're one of the first researchers to build robots to understand biology, and you're working with crickets. Why crickets? Um, the reason I got into crickets really was when I started in this field, um, I was looking for some system that was supposedly well understood, so a behavior that was well described and the neural system had been studied in depth and was well understood. Um, and when I started looking in the literature for that, the cricket um, auditory localization system came up as something that people claimed was very well understood. So I thought I'd use it and build a model of that and then go on to bigger and better things. But as it turns out, it wasn't very well understood at all. So I'm still working on it. So you think using robots made you realize that it wasn't well understood? Absolutely, yes. So there are, there are a number of hypotheses in the literature, some of which simply didn't work um, if you tried to implement them. Um, others where they, they would work, but there was perfectly good alternative hypotheses that weren't being considered. Um, so it really made things much, much clearer in the whole field, I think, I would, I would hope. Um, I'm not sure all the biologists would agree but I think it has had some influence in the field in asking critical questions that the biologists hadn't thought of before this. Biorobotics is not just a very young and new field. It's also a very interdisciplinary field with people from all sorts of backgrounds. How do you come to be a researcher in biorobotics? Were you first a biologist or an engineer? Um, neither, actually. I, my first degree was in psychology. Um, so I actually came at it from the... Um, behavioral side, animal behavior side, I guess. <clears throat> um, but I also studied computer science, so I was always interested in trying to bring these things together. Um, I mean, I think for anyone who, there isn't, you know, one correct background for this field because you really have to know a bit about a lot of different things, all the way from electronics through computer programming to understanding the biology and the details of the biology. So it tends to be you know, a self-education process that people have to do. Um, one thing I'm aiming at now with my PhD students is, is to have students who are able to do both biological experiments and 
the computational and robot modeling experiments. <clears throat> so we have animals in the lab and we have robots in the lab and people should be able to work on both of those. Sounds exciting, like a big melting pot. We'll get back to that. You edited a book on biorobotics together with Thomas Kunzi, and one of the main points you stressed in that book was the importance of the interaction between animals and their environments. Why is this so important? Well, it's really because that's what behavior is. I mean, that's what shapes behavior. If you do the same, if you have the same, you know, physical output of your machine in a different environment, it can have very, very different consequences. Um, and really, you know, biology is, un understanding biology is about understanding how animals do what they do in the niche that they, that they do it. So really it's something kind of critical. So this interaction is really crucial to understand what's happening in the system. Yes, you can't, you can't think about the behavior from the inside out. You have to think more from the outside in. A number of research projects, so to get back to, to the melting pot now, a number of research projects are blurring the distinction between animals and robots. In one example, a mobile robot was controlled by a cockroach sitting on a ping pong ball, for instance. And in some other projects, uh, they implanted electrodes into the brains of, of animals, of rats, for instance, or sharks, to control them, remote control them. Do you see any future in systems that unite animals and machines that way? Um, well, I suppose it solves one of the problems that I mentioned above about you know, not having good enough sensors or actuators, because if you kind of use these hybrid systems, then perhaps you can use the real sensors of the animal, but then pass those into some computational model um, and then pass that back out, you know, through the actual muscles of the animal, something like that. But to be honest, I'm not sure how much is really being learned from, from this approach so far, because by keeping the animal in the loop, you, you don't understand the bit that the animal is doing, as it were. So as, as an approach to biology, I'm not sure it's really so effective. Okay, so moving a bit to more general questions now. What are the big goals in biorobotics for the next 20 years or so? Um, I think one of the big challenges at the moment is really trying to put more systems together. Um, so, you know, animals don't just do one thing. They do lots of different things, and they seem to be able to sort out how to put those different things, to, different behaviors together. Um, and so that's one thing sort of we're trying to do is to build a slightly more complete cricket that not only responds to sound, but also has visual system, has um, tactile sensing, and that these different behaviors can be put together in different ways. Um, other people are doing a similar sort of thing, trying to build a, a more complete rat model um, or something like that. I'm not so ambitious as to think I could do a rat, but I think I might do a cricket in 20 years, perhaps. So the goal is really to build an animal? Yes. Where do you see the biggest challenges in reaching those goals? You already mentioned sensor and actuator technology. Um, is there anything else? There's still an awful lot we don't really know about how the biological systems do it. So I think that's, you know, there obviously has to be a lot of biological research done as well. And, and the two things will go together, I would hope, that, that the, trying to build the model will suggest the research and the research will support building the model. Um, we probably also need some kind of brain technology that needs to be sorted out in some way as well. So, I mean, we don't generally use parallel processing, for example, and it's not clear that we can just replace that with fast processing, which is what people do now is basically 
the fact that the computer is fast makes up for the fact it's not parallel. But those two things might not really trade off in the long run if you're trying to make the system really work in real time in real environments. Moving to robotics in general now, uh, which fields would you think are the most promising technologically? I think that's very difficult to answer, um, of course. So, And I suspect what will happen in terms of how robotics will get used is that it's not, it's not that we'll suddenly see robots as we think of robots as, you know, aut autonomous devices running around, um, but rather that elements of what's being done will get absorbed into different bits of technology. So, for example, you know, special sensors that can be used in special applications. For example, um, I know someone who's, who works on <clears throat> locust um, flight systems and, and neurons, and they're looking at whether they can apply some of these for car control so that basically you can detect collisions, looming collisions, and try and break the car. Um, so I think it's it's going to be much more... It's not that there's going to be a big breakthrough in robotics that means suddenly that we'll see robots everywhere. It's going to be lots of little things like this. Do you still ever make a prediction for 20 years from now? Um, in which field will robotics have had the biggest impact on our lives? Well, no, it's hard to do because, it, I mean, you know, it has had, the impact it has had was in um, sort of automation. And I think it's probably going to go on from that. So it's going to be automation that's now in factories and so forth is, is going to come more into our everyday life. So, in you know, in a strange sense, you can think of something like a dishwasher as being a bit like a robot in that it does the washing up for you, but you have to help it to some extent. You have to stack it and so forth. And I think there's going to be lots of little everyday things like that that, that might start to be taken over by robots, vacuuming robots as, as we have already, but they'll, they'll become much more practical. Um, I think cleaning generally might be an area where, where there's lots of useful applications for robots. So thinking more on not just home cleaning, but industrial scale cleaning, um, you know, robots that can clean oil slicks and things like that. Thank you very much, Barbara, for joining us here on Talking Robots. This concludes this episode with Barbara Webb from the University of Edinburgh. I'm Marcus Weibel. Thanks for listening. Talking Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.ch.